Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Mind of Miles. I am delighted to have Eric Musselman, the head coach of Arkansas here. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Coach. Thanks so much for having me on. Look like you're sitting in your plush office there with all the credentials in the background. You're looking good, man. Looking happy. Yeah, we, uh, we've had some good weather. We haven't lost a basketball game. And, uh, you know, I think we're at that time of year where coaches should really, really like being in the gym because um, you're laying your foundation with, 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 you know, schemes both offensively and defensively. So, uh, and there's, again, no pressure of a win or loss in, within the next 24 hours. You know, it used to be when we, there's no doubt that's true, but when we, when we used to just start on October 15th, you could literally, the guys would come in, they were so hyped up. You could smell the burn of the rubber, you know, uh, on their new shoes. Uh, and that was so cool. It's, it's different now. And with COVID, it's especially different. How are you keeping your guys energized? What are you doing with them? Uh, uh, just uh, how are you dealing with them every day with all this uncertainty? Yeah, I think the COVID thing, you know, we've, we've become pretty accustomed to exactly how we're going to try to operate, um, you know, wearing the mask when we're not in the gym, all the coaches obviously wearing the mask during the entire practice. And, um, but having said that, uh, this is a grind, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like the dog days of, of the off season because, you know, you're not into your game prep. Um, but you, but you also got to try to, you know, let your players understand the importance of laying the foundation, um, you know, put, doing all the fundamentals. Um, and, and the one thing that I constantly talk to our staff about is how do we keep the guys from being bored? How do we try to create some excitement? So when they walk through the door, they're excited about coming to practice. Cause, cause it is, you know, right now, especially when you have some older guys, I think it's a little bit easier for freshmen. But the older guys, the grad transfer guys, they want to get to the games, man. Yeah. Um, and so, so you've got to try to get creative, I think, from a pra practice standpoint. I always remember the old baseball teams that not one veteran made it through spring training, but they were ready day one when that first pitch was going. That's the way these grad transfers are, man. They're like, oh, uh, they, they, the, my favorite injury is the one that you can't see. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, my back is bad. You know, I need to see it bruised, bleeding swollen you know and they always like oh my hamstrings tight or my back you know they had all these phantom injuries man but when the lights were on they were ready to go and you've done a marvelous job with transfers which leads me to this I don't know how many people know the full background of your story coach but you know you grew up in a coach's family uh your dad was the head coach uh small college uh Ashland uh it was a killer in small college at Ashland Ohio same league as Walsh College, where Bob Huggins was the coach again. What a great small college league there, right? Yeah, and uh, and then he went to Minnesota for the big paycheck, which uh, I read online was like $24,000 a year or whatever back then. But, uh, you know, what's funny about the old Gopher coaches' children is uh, I see, you know, Jim Dutcher uh, was at the, with the Gophers. And, of course, I grew up in South Dakota. And you went to the University of San Diego. Brian Dutcher is the head coach of San Diego State. How come all the Minnesota coaches' kids run to the Southern Cal? What's up? We're, real, we're really smart, Coach. I can tell you that. And uh, I give Coach Dutch um, at SDSU a hard time all the time because my dad left his father a pretty good basketball team. Um, but, the, but it's interesting because the Ashland College thing to go from Ohio to – University of Minnesota, it, it really, my dad was a great marketer. People don't really know that. They had a pregame warm-up at Ashland College. The building was sold out every game. When he went to the University of Minnesota, he had that same pregame warm-up. Guys on unicycles, everybody had to know how to uh, juggle three basketballs. Everybody had to know how to spin two balls on both fingers. Um, he was way ahead of his time from a marketing standpoint. There was two different dance teams. Um, that, that my dad had a big part in putting that together as well. There was music blaring pregame. And to think that all that was happening in the 70s, um, way, way ahead of his time. And one of the things that he regretted was not taking the Memphis Tams job, which was an ABA team that was, was owned by Charlie Finley. And certainly Charlie oh. Finley, known for the Oakland A's owner um, and was a character and a marketer himself. Yeah, and, and uh, as I recall, that was Sweet Georgia Brown, the old Harlem Globetrotter song they, they uh, performed to. And the whole 
you know, 18,000 fans a game at the University of Minnesota. Now, this is not 7,000. I mean, this – and they're all clapping in unison Why the guys are out there literally on unison. You can see it on YouTube. I'll try and link it. Just an amazing thing. So you got a little bit of that in your blood. And you, of course, start in the CBA. And for those that don't know what the CBA was, it was basically what the G League is now. But it was an independent league. Uh, but it was minor league basketball. So I'm sure you were taking charter planes everywhere. And, <laughs> but at a, at a young age, you were in Rapid City, South Dakota with the Thrillers. And, uh, and you hired Flip Saunders. How old were you when you hired Flip Saunders to coach? Yeah, I was at my first job out of college was selling tickets for the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, I did no, that. no, no. San Diego Clippers. No, they were, they were actually the L.A. Clippers. Oh, the they time. were? Yes. Yeah, so I was a ball boy for the San Diego Clippers when I was in seventh and eighth grade. Um, then, then they moved uh, to L.A. So I actually sold tickets for the L.A. Clippers um, my first two months out of college. And then I ended up being in their uh, player, you know, personnel department and being able to scout local college games. Um, and then I got the GM job of the Rapid City team. Um, and so the first person that I called was Flip Saunders. He was an assistant coach at Tulsa. Um, and Flip came out to where I was living at the time in Manhattan Beach. He slept on the floor for four straight days trying to convince me that he and I could have a good partnership um, in running that Rapid City team. And, and that first year was wild because uh, Flip's father was a carpenter. We built the offices basically in the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center, uh, hammer nails, everything. Um, and we had an awesome year. We took the year before we got there, they were uh, 16 and 38. We took them to 38 and 16. Um, and then Flip went to lacrosse the next year. And then I took over the coaching duties, but um, had a great friendship. Obviously, Flip played for my father at the University of Minnesota. Um, and we had a, an incredibly fun year that one year in Rapid City together. Well, Flip is a, a hero to a lot of us younger coaches, so to speak, as you know, you and I are about the same age, but you know, we always looked up to those guys. He was with the Sky Force, I think, for a while, too. Dave Yeager, who I coached against when he was a Division II player at Moorhead State, couldn't go left. Yeager could not go left. Just sit on that left hand. And, um, uh, but Dave worked his way up to be the head coach. You worked your way up to be a head coach in the NBA. Uh, Dave Yeager was a head coach in the NBA. Here's all these guys that were just really, you know, you'd think, oh, your dad's that coach at the Gopher Head, that you would just have a golden platter but you didn't. You had to figure out how to make it work on your own, how to use your dad's intuition on marketing to make it work uh, for yourself too, and really build your own brand after you got out of the NBA. After you left the NBA, did you want to go back to the NBA? Were you excited about going to college? Because you took a couple assistant coaching jobs at Arizona State, uh, TCU, LSU, right? LSU, yep. yep. I'll, I'll tell you, Coach, uh, going a little bit backwards um, on, on trying Trying to you know work your way up even though your father had a job it was really interesting because in in the first year with the Timberwolves the inaugural year I kept calling my dad and saying hey dad training camps like three weeks away training camps two weeks away are you gonna hire me he said son I'm not hiring you you got to earn your stripes man <laughs> and, and so he told me uh, that I had to coach more and so uh, that was my first year coaching the Thrillers. And then the second year he brought me, but he would not hire me without coaching experience. And it was interesting. He taught me a really, you know, valuable lesson at a young age because I thought I was just going to go with him um, that inaugural year. And it didn't happen until, until year two. But certainly after having an opportunity with Golden State um, and then going to Memphis as an assistant uh, with Mike Fratello, and then going back to Sacramento and getting a head job with the Kings, um, I took off coaching for three years, Coach. Um, and I tried to reconnect with my two sons, Michael Matthew. I, I met my new wife, Danielle. Um, and we, I, I remember we were sitting around the dinner table because Flip Saunders had actually offered me a job to come and coach with him and be an assistant with the Timberwolves. Um, and this is the guy that was my idol. I wore the same number that he wore in college. Um, you know, he was an incredibly uh, personality, a guy that you were attracted to be around. Um, and my wife kind of said, Hey, let, let, let's, we had already spent two years at Arizona state as an assistant, which was a really humbling experience. 
Um, and then we made a decision to go join Johnny Jones um, at LSU instead of going with Flip and going back to Minnesota. Um, and, and that was a kind of a career-defining moment for sure to me because I did not know Coach Jones at all. Uh, my wife felt like the staying in college would be a new challenge for me. Um, so I did that and, and then got lucky and got a job. Finally, somebody gave me a, a chance at Nevada. I had so many interviews, Coach Miles, that, that I couldn't get a job. I mean, I would send letters. The Campbell job would open. The, Ca the Campbell Camels. I'd Camel. send a letter. I would try to get a phone call with the AD. Um, I had an, a an athletic director fall asleep in an interview, so I didn't do a very good job in that interview. Um, but, you know, it was so hard to get a college head job. And then I got – Doug Newt gave me the opportunity. Um, and really that happened kind of randomly. Uh, Doug Newt, the athletic director, was with a, a Golden State Warriors season ticket holder, Matt White. And Matt sat directly behind the bench when I was coaching Golden State and thought that it would be a good match. And that's kind of how I got my first college head job. Isn't that amazing how some of that stuff works? And And – I think that AD that fell asleep was probably breaking training rules at the final four or something like that. I, I will tell you this too. The guy that fell asleep is out of a job, nowhere to be found. So um, sometimes, Stunner. sometimes luck Stunner. happens too, not Stunner. getting a job. Well, um, you know what people, I think, you know, I was in the mountain West of course for five years at Colorado state. You were in the mountain West for four seasons, I believe. And, um, and that's a great league. And what I don't think people understand is how good the, the venues are, the cities, Reno, of course. I, I, Mark Fox um, uh, really had it going. Of course, Trent Johnson had been there immediately before him. He took over for Trent when Trent went to Stanford. And I was so impressed when we went out to get our butts kicked and <laughs> by the Wolfpack out of Nevada when I was at CSU. It was really, really a cool environment. And you got that thing supercharged. No, it's so interesting. One of my five visits coming out of high school um, was with Sonny Allen. Sonny Allen had coached at Nevada, too, and was the guy that created the number fast break that so many of us have used in the past. And so Coach Allen had it going. Um, and then obviously met, you mentioned Coach uh, Trent and, and, and Mark Fox did an incredible job. But the Mountain West, the thing that I was amazed with is how hard it is to win on the road because it's hard when you go go to Colorado State it's you know Air Force is not an easy place to win at San Diego State I mean people do not understand that that building is, is literally rocking yeah um, and so there's, there's a lot of hard venues uh, to travel not charter and to get to Wyoming is really really difficult so I thought it was a, a really challenging league and, and now Utah State um, their staff's done an incredible job and they're drawing fans at a high rate and uh, really, really underrated league, in my opinion, with just some incredibly great coaches. Yeah, and Boise's had two uh, straight NBA draft picks. Oh, by the way, uh, you know, um, you know, you, you, when you look at the Mountain West and, and now you become a head coach and you go and hit the transfer market hard, right? You, you just really are – you certainly recruit high school kids too, but you really how, – how, I've heard you speak before about assembling a team in a hurry, and you certainly had to go back to your days in the CBA and draw from that as you were putting your teams together. Yeah, I mean, I, we took kind of a, a hybrid, like the CBA, USBL, NBA G League philosophy, and kind of intertwined it with the NBA philosophy of draft picks and free agency. Um, and so we tried to come up with a formula when we talk in staff meetings, we don't talk about guys being four stars or five stars. We talk about, is this a lottery level talent? Is this guy a mid first round? Is this guy a second rounder? Is he just a roster filler? Um, and so that's kind of how we built our roster. We had two really good freshmen that first year and Lindsey Drew and Cameron Oliver, which really was the, the, the founding two pieces, those two freshmen, but we went really hard after experienced players. Um, in the transfer market, we kind of looked at those guys like they were NBA free agents with a proven track record. Uh, we could figure out how the pieces to the puzzle were going to fit much more so than, than freshmen that are unknowns. Um, and so that's the reason we wanted uh, to get as good as we possibly could 
quickly, but also have some sustainability along with it. So uh, what a lot of people don't understand is we really did not have a grad transfer until my last year at Nevada. They were all sit-out transfers that we could work, develop their game, so on and so forth. Um, and, and the Martin twins really, um, you know, they changed my family's life because they were such great players and such great competitors. And, and really, I laugh all the time. I didn't get the Arkansas job. Those two dudes really helped me get yeah. the Arkansas job. Yeah, I would have never been a Nebraska coach if not the Mayville State guys uh, and the Southwest Minnesota State guys were so dang good. But, you know, um, uh, it's interesting, too, when you look at things and, and, and how you, um, you know, got that thing revved up. Certainly talent was one of them. I, I still say redshirting. You know, I had, I think, four guys that were all league in the Big Ten, and four, they, they all redshirted, Division One guys that redshirted. The guys that came were immediately eligible – it was just harder. You know, I mean, you're acclimating new team, new coach, new system, new school, you know, new friends, all that stuff. That year of sitting out can really help. Um, coach, you are one of the best follows in Twitter. And in fact, I just have really one, one question. Uh, you coached a, uh, an invisible game this year with no players. Have you lost your mind throughout the pandemic? Is that what happened? Yeah, it was pretty close. I mean, I, I, uh, I coached a practice with no fans um, and no players. I did a press conference and kind of took uh, some fun at each writer. I would, I would kind of say something about each writer. Um, so practice game, mock press conference. Um, it started kind of at Nevada. Like what I, what I started doing was promoting other programs. Like before the foot, first football game, I put on a football uniform, return kicks, um, and, and put that out. I, I even did a swimming and diving one at Nevada. Um, got up on the high dive, which I was petrified. No speedo, please. No, no speedo. Okay. No speedo. Trust me. Board shorts, surfing right. days. Yeah, there you are. San Diego. But yeah, you know what? I think I just hit a, a point in my career, coach, where I just kind of like what's different from the NBA in college is being a you know, partner with other coaches on campus and going to other sporting sure. events on campus. The NBA is strictly a business. Um, and so I want to have fun if I'm on a college campus. And that's kind of what we do with our social media. If I was coaching the NBA, I probably wouldn't no. even have social media. They wouldn't let you. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what I love about it, Coach, is that it just seems like you actually have fun coaching. Is that possible anymore? You can still do that, right? That's, that's true. <laughs> I love coaching. I do have fun. I mean, I think if you come to our practices, um, you know, they're disciplined, they're very structured. Um, but we have fun in our pregame. You know, we try to come up with a theme every pregame. Uh, we have fun. I might dress up in a costume for the players. Um, our post games, I hope after a win, they're really fun for the players. But um, even our pre practice, we try to have some fun, some type of message. Um, on a daily basis that, that the guys can laugh a little bit. Yeah. I Energize your base and your team and antagonize the opponent. That's always great. <laughs> I'm just saying, whether you like to or not, whether it's intentional or not, it's awesome. Um, coach, you know, because you've done the transfer thing, you had guys sitting out, sitting out. Even last year at Arkansas, you were incredibly small, but you played very short rotations. You know, I'm, Jim Molinari, my uh, former assistant who's now at Oklahoma with Lon, who you worked with at, with the Atlanta Hawks, uh, always said, uh, play eight, trust seven. And uh, you, you've done a little bit of that. I've lived by that, Coach. What's, yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt. Yeah. And, and as, you, as you've done this, and, and, you know, it's one thing to do it in a mid-major league, but you've also won 20 in a high-major league. And it hadn't been for a huge injury last year. You guys certainly would have won more than 20. When you look at the SEC, look at all these guys in the Final Four. You know I mean? You got Ben Holland who went to three at UCLA and Calipari. And, I mean, just – I'm not even going to try and name them all, right? Well, trust me, my first meeting, I looked around and I was texting my wife and I go – hey, somebody in this group's going to come in last place, man. Because, like, I'm looking around and every coach, I'm sitting next to Tom Crean. I mean, every single guy is a good coach. So, it's oh, a yeah. challenge, so, man. You remember the movie Rounders? And yes. Mike is rounders says, if you can't find the sucker in the first 30 seconds, you are the <laughs> sucker. We've been in those meetings. No, that's what happens. Um, so, so, yeah, I think you've done a tremendous job, Coach. And um, 
you know, as I get into this, uh, one of the things, you know, as I like to look at is, you know, you, you NBA guys. So when I was in the Mountain West, Jim Boylan, who just previously had coached Chicago uh, Bulls, uh, was an NBA guy. Lonnie Kruger was an NBA guy. Um, and, and, Jim, and Jim actually worked with, we, Jim was my assistant in Golden State. Oh, really? I yeah. did not know that. That's awesome. Yep. And yep. then Craig Neal had been in the NBA with the Raptors uh, calling offense. He went with Steve Olford, who's now at Nevada, of course, those two are. Uh, they were in New Mexico. Craig Neal, Craig Neal played for me for parts of six years. I hope you cut him. <laughs> no, I never did. He was actually really good. I know. That's good. <laughs> Noodle's a great guy, man. He's a good he, – he's amazing. Um, but, but you know, the NBA guys were so good when you were sc- – like, that, I, I went from N- – NEI, Division II, Division I Independent, Mountain West, okay? And all of a sudden you're going against and, – and the one thing about the – I think the advantage of an NBA season is if you just count possessions, 24-second shot clock, about 100 possessions in a game compared to about 70 or whatever, um, you, know, you get another season and a half, you know, experience. When, yep. If you just count possessions, an NBA coach gets almost three times in every one calendar year, gets about three times the possessions as, a, you know, as the college guys do. And it makes you sharper and it makes you better. I don't necessarily want the college game to go to a shorter clock. I kind of like the uniqueness of where we're at. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, as you look at this and you, and you put your own brand on things, you, know, I, I, you guys do an excellent job of getting threes, making threes and stopping threes. Now, what I, you know, everybody, if you look at, you know, how you should play basketball, um, you should be at the rim or outside shooting the three. You know, that's what the numbers tell you, the analytics tell you. You certainly understand that well. I've known that. We just couldn't make the threes. So, you know, I mean, that's the way it goes. Uh, Then you podcast for a while. So, um, uh, but when you look at this, I really hope the college game does not become the Houston Rockets, which is, you know, stand, 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 space, and see what we can do. I still love the movement without the basketball, and I think it will uh, because of the longer clock and those things. How do you relate your style of play? How is it different from when you were in the NBA and you come to the college game and now put that into work at Nevada and Arkansas? Well, you hit on a a lot of great points, Coach. I think, like, the NBA game is also why I've had a smaller rotation because I've always felt – you know, you're only playing two games a week in college. In the NBA, you're playing three or four. The 48-minute uh, game compared to a 40-minute game is a huge difference um, when you're talking about multiple games in the, you know, during a week. And then you talk about 80 82 games as opposed to, you know, 30 games. So that's why I felt like from a rotation standpoint, and, oh, by the way, you don't have a 35-year-old veteran. Um, you, you know, you're dealing with younger people and people that are used to playing seven games in one day in an AAU tournament. So that's why I felt like the rotations with mainly college media was way overblown. Um, And so that's why we came up with the formula and the people that I worked for. My dad had a small rotation. Um, One of my best friends is Tom Thibodeau. We all know what his rotation looks like. Um, So that was kind of how I formulated you know, I felt like, and I still kind of feel like, if your best player's tired and taking a shot, that's still better than your eighth man who's fresh taking a shot. And that's just kind of, I think that's kind of bred from your NBA, you know, background. Um, and, but the NBA coaching, you mentioned, it is so good. Um, I think that the, the world's greatest coaches are in the NBA because of the experience um, and, and for so many factors. But you know, what we've tried to do is we've tried to take all of our practice plans from the NBA, um, the way that we do offense, defense, um, constantly tweaking um, based on analytics and so on and so forth. But you also have to do what your roster is good at. And so last year we had a guy, Jimmy Witt, who was one of the best mid-range shooters in all of college basketball. So we let him do that. You know, we let him play his game. We let him do his thing because that's what he was good at. We didn't try to force him into layups or threes because because he was so good at that 12 to 15 foot but we do take a lot of threes we led the nation in defending the three last year because we put a high priority on it we knew we were going to get our butts kicked on the glass yeah and that's what people don't understand there's got to be give and take you can't take away everything so when you're that stretched and especially now you're longer this year 
you know, so that should naturally help the rebounding. You're still going to be weak somewhere. And, and your idea of taking away the three and maybe giving up a couple extra possessions, if it's still only one or two at a time, not three at a time, it's still more effective defense. No question. I think the big thing is, like, for, for what I've tried to do every year is come up with an identity. Like, who are we? And try to do that as good as anybody in the country. Whatever that may be. It might be, you know, one year it was try to outscore people from three. Other years it's been defend the three. It might be try to be the best pick-and-roll defensive team in the country. I don't know what we're going to be able to try to hang our hat on this year because we're still trying to figure that out. But I think – you know, especially for first-time head coaches or even for assistant coaches, they want to be masters of all, and you can't be. You've really got to focus on one or two things and be great at that and master those to give yourself a chance to win. Every year we had a big season as a Division One coach, we won the three-point line. We guarded it better, and we shot it better. Uh, one year I think we got uh, fourth in the Big Ten – and if you looked at our stats and Michigan State stats, they're almost identical except for offensive efficiency, which came down to we shot 34% from the three, they shot 42%, and they just murdered us. You know, like we could handle the ball well, didn't matter. Like our turnovers away, like eight turnovers in a game, not, doesn't matter. I mean, if you're going to shoot and miss, your assists are down, <laughs> you know, everything's down. And, and, and so shooting is a premium. Basketball is a game of skill, and, and you've really done that well. And you have built your brand like – I just have, like, one real question. Who is your favorite team, the Arkansas Razorbacks or the Savannah Bananas? <laughs> I, I know I like both logos. Both logos are awesome. My favorite team still the Razorbacks, but I got a lot of minor league teams that I'm enjoying uh, donning their mask and T-shirt. Folks, if you get a chance, get on uh, Coach Musselman's uh, Twitter feed. And uh, uh, every, what, week you have a different theme or every day? I don't know what it is. Every day we have a different theme, yep. Yeah, we so he's got a mask and a T-shirt and shorts on of the Seattle Seahawks or the Savannah Bananas was an actual team, you know. And, uh, um, you know, we have uh, – uh, there was one t- – I, I mistakenly, right when I got here, we have the Salt Dogs here in town uh, uh, for a minor league baseball team. I call them the Corn Dogs, you know, because I thought – Sure, it's got to be the corn dogs, and um, yeah, it wasn't. So I, they weren't too happy with me. Charlie Meyer sent me a, a nice note, but anyhow, he's the GM of that team. But at the end of the day, uh, I still got to throw the first pitch, threw it in the dirt. No uh, strike, no strike, coach. So when I threw for the Huskers, I threw a strike, a little high, got him off the plate, but it was a high strike. And then, um, and then, no, I did not do a good job. I had my son out with me, and we were going to try a bit, you know. So okay. You know what a bit is, right? You yep. try and do something. So my son and I, I said, okay, Gabe was like eight or whatever it was. He's 16 now, so he might have been eight or nine. He said, here's what we're going to do. The salt dog is going to, you know, I'm going to throw a pitch, and the salt dog is going to call a ball. So then I want you to uh, um, throw your ball and bean the salt dog, okay? <laughs> so, so you know, he's like, well, I'm not sure, you know, and – um and so, sure enough, I throw my pitch. It's a ball. And, but the salt dog comes walking way out. So the, the guy gets about six feet, and my son just winds up, whap, <laughs> drills him. <laughs> so the bit was, once you drill him, he's going to chase you down and beat you up, right? Well, the salt dog couldn't catch him, you know, and he didn't let the salt dog. So it was just the worst bit, right? So, you know, pre, it's a, you know, early season couple hundred fans in the, you know, not a lot of people there. So my son, eight or nine, right? Like uh, a month before I had um, had a car accident and I was not paying attention, rear-ended somebody and, and that was all result. Nobody got hurt, thank goodness. And, and um, but it was in USA Today that I got fined a hundred dollars. I mean, it was in every paper and it was like a slow news day or whatever. So we're driving home and my son says, is that going to be in USA Today? <laughs> that's going to be embarrassing. All my friends are going to hate me. We're not going to. And he was just so, I said, son, it's a bit, some bits work, some don't, you know, I think like, <laughs> and so he'd come up eight o'clock, anything on Twitter, nine o'clock, anything on 10 o'clock is anything on the news. So once we escaped the day, he knew it was okay to 
fail it a bit. So hopefully I'm passing to my son what your dad passes to you, which is sometimes you have to have the courage to do the bit, man. No question. No question. You have to. Well, coach, I, you know, listen, this has been awesome. I, I still have eight more things I haven't even asked you about. Uh, the, the, you know, you're such a, a, a fascinating guy. Good luck to you. I, you know, one thing I'd like to do is you've got an outstanding staff. Tell me about your staff. Yeah. Your three main assist- First of all, you can't even name everybody on your auxiliary staff. You have no idea. He's got like 22 support staff guys, folks. He, and the reason he didn't go back to the NBA was because he wanted to wear a polo and nice, uh, easy going. He didn't want to have to wear that That's uncomfortable true. suit. Yeah. That's true. So, I hate the suits. But we got, awesome, doing that. we got an awesome staff, Coach. We really do. Tell me about him. Yeah, so Corey Williams uh, was a head coach at Stetson. Um, you know, since I've, since I've been a head coach in college, I always want to have at least one, um, you know, guy on staff that's been a head coach. And, and Coach Williams played in the NBA with the Bulls when they won it all. Um, and so I love the fact that he played in the NBA, was a head coach in college, and then was an assistant at a high level at Florida State. And then David Patrick, uh, who just joined us this year, is a really, really, really dear friend. I know he's a great friend of yours as well. And uh, Coach Patrick was the head coach at UC Riverside and really had that thing cooking. I mean, they were really trajectorying up. Uh, my wife's good friends with Cassie, his wife, so that helped as well. My daughter Mariah's friends with his daughter uh, Maddie, so that helped us a lot recruit Coach Patrick here. Um, and he's recruited at a high level, but he's an incredible coach on the floor. And then Clay Mosier's been with me. Um, at so many different stops. He was with me in Sacramento with the Kings, with Golden State. He was with me in Dominican Republic with the DR national team. Um, Clay's Nine got years with the Lakers? With the Lakers. When, when Actually, Clay and I went to the Lakers as their D-League coaching staff. And then I didn't get called up, but Clay got called up to the Lakers. So, um, but yeah, he, he ran the analytics department with the Lakers. And I don't know, Coach. Can we call these guys in? You get, hey, I got to get these guys in here. Bring them in. I got to well, talk to the Braves. Let me go grab them real quick, Coach. Let's go. Folks, we're back with the Razorbacks. We've got uh, David Patrick and Clay Mosier, two guys that I've known for a lifetime. Uh, uh, guys, welcome to the Mind of Miles. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Tim. Thank you. That, was that a chuckle, DP? Was that, was that a chuckle? It's a chuckle because I – Text you damn near every day. So it's a <laughs> So you know what's inside the mind of Miles. Guys, I've known Clay Moser since I was an assistant in Northern State in Aberdeen, South Dakota. When he was uh we've already uh briefly talked about him with uh with with, with Coach Musselman, but your upbringing in the CBA and the minor leagues of basketball, truly you were with the Sky Force, but your first big break was with Jimmy Valvano. And and how does Jimmy Valvano hire a guy that's born in Nebraska? That's a great question. I, I thought it was a smart hire when I when I got hired. And as I look back at it over the course of my career, I realized there was a thousand guys you should have hired other than me. But, uh, he and I just kind of, we clicked and I filled a need for him that he needed. And, um, you know, those are days I cherish very, very fondly. And David Patrick, folks, of course, he, he, he started, uh, uh, played at Syracuse for Jim Beheim for a season, right? You guys go to the Final Four that year? Yes, sir. Went to the national championship and lost to Kentucky eventually. And then Louisiana Lafayette after that, looking right. for more minutes, I'm guessing. Yes, of course. And warmer weather. <laughs> warmer weather, yes. I guess one of, it's one of the early transfers, man. Yeah, exactly. So it's amazing. I had Fran McCaffrey on my first show, and he, he there were seven teams in the ACC when he transferred back to Penn. And uh, – DP, that reminds me of the Motley Crew when Jeff Van Gundy told us he transferred from Harvard to uh, uh, Menlo Junior College out in California. <laughs> I've never heard anybody like that in my life. So, so DP, you, you started coaching. You, of course, now uh, grew up in Melbourne, Australia, after being born in Bermuda. Um, and then you decided to, to come to the U.S. And, and, uh, and work there. What was that movement like when you came to high school uh, from Melbourne? Look, it was different. You know, I went, went to high school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, back in 93 now. And uh, when I look back at it, it was, it was my chance and opportunity to try to get recruited to college. There was no YouTube, no Twitter. Um, you know, my VCR tapes that would take four weeks to get over here to try to send to college coaches. And so 
my best chance was to come here and play in high school, which was which I was able to do in Baton Rouge, and, and I was fortunate enough to get recruited by a lot of schools and ended up at Syracuse, you know, for my college career. And how 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 did Baton Rouge become the the place? You know, it's a it, there's a guy named Eddie Palubinskis. He was uh, the first Australian ever drafted in the NBA, and uh, he played at LSU. Um, and he asked me to come over uh, first of all to go to his high school, um, and that's what that's how I ended up in in, in Baton Rouge. So uh, a small world that there was an Australian already living in Baton Rouge that happened to play at LSU, um, and that's how I ended up uh, on this side of the world. Clay, your first experience with Eric Musselman was where, how, why? Uh, he was the head coach of the Rapid City Thrillers, and I was an assistant coach of the Sioux Falls Sky Force uh, in, under a gentleman by the name of Ron Ecker. And we were – Rapid City had been established in, in there for – I don't remember exactly, but they'd been, in, they'd been in Rapid City for two, maybe three years, and we opened at home, so it was a cross-state rivalry. We played in the, the uh, Sioux Falls Arena, the, the pre-updated uh, Sioux Falls Arena. And both and, places would sell out for your games. This is not yeah, – the, Yeah, it was, yeah, the CBA was – I mean, the Sky Force is still, still there, for goodness sake. Yeah. I mean, after all these years, I was there from, a, from their, their – uh, I was there as an expansion franchise. And uh, so Rapid City came to our place to open the place up. We sold it out. And, uh, and I don't know how Musk remembers it, but he and I had some uh, words at half court talk about something because Ron, Ron was – I don't know what Ron was doing, but I was mad about something. Musk was mad about something. So uh, that's my first interaction. I, I, you know, then we didn't really – then we just kind of uh, were around each other for, for periods of time because you played so many games in the CBA, and oftentimes because of travel, you end up playing the same team a lot. To, to keep down travel expenses. So we ended up seeing each other a lot. And, and I think he looks fondly on me because I used to beat the dog out of us. So it, like, it was almost a guaranteed win when Rapid City played Sioux Falls. A lot of different ways to get a job. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that one wasn't pleasant. <laughs> no. yeah, DP, so you were an assistant coach. Uh, you end up uh, from, from Nichols State. You end up going to St. Mary's, really helping uh, uh, Randy Bennett establish that Australian pipeline. You're not, were you the first guy to really do that, yeah, were, do, do you think? Or were there other guys bringing Australia? Occasionally we'd see an Aussie, but really not a lot. There, there wasn't a lot. You know, Coach Giacoletti had brought Andrew Bogut over from, to, to Utah. Um, so well, I think know, really you know, Rick Majerus might have pulled that off. And Rick kind of, yeah, yeah. It helped having Coach Majerus rest in peace <laughs> yep. being, being the coach there. So they, they dabbled with it. Uh, and Coach Bennett had one Australian prior to me getting there uh, named Daniel Kicker. Um, and then after I got there, kind of the floodgates somewhat, yeah. somewhat opened. It kind of became the in vogue thing. But, but it helps when you get a, a Patty Mills and Matt Delavadova to kind of open up, open up that channel. Yeah, a couple of NBA guys will start your career off right. So, <laughs> so, so DP, you, you scout in the NBA. You know, Clay's done that. Clay's been an assistant in the NBA. He's – there are probably not many jobs you haven't had in the NBA, Clay. That's that, except the very, very top ones. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and now you guys are both in college, and and when you look at things, and um, DP, you were a sitting head coach, okay, um, and and those jobs, you know, you look at it, and they're hard to give up, uh, but you chose to, and, and that's that's a hard decision to make. Uh, talk to us about making that move and the emotion of doing that. And certainly you probably wouldn't have done it if you didn't have a close tie with Eric already. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for Coach Musselman. And, uh, you know, me and Eric relationship goes back to my days at St. Mary's. Um, and I looked up to him when he was a, a head coach at the Warriors and, and at the Kings. But, you know, we're kind of in the same coaching tree. You know, he played for Coach Egan, who, who Coach Bennett worked under. Um, and so our paths crossed is when, when Musk was uh, making his transition out, out of coaching for that, for those couple of years, you know, I spent every day that I could with him when he come up to campus and, and, and pick his brain. And so uh, when this opportunity arose uh, and he called about possibly coming to join him, um, I saw it as not only a chance of working with a friend, but a, a chance to continue to grow um, as a coach, you know, and ultimately uh, I want to be like him and coach at this level one day and what better place to be. Uh, then at the University of Arkansas with a friend that you, that, that you look up to 
Um, so that's why I made the jump. Well, you did an excellent job flipping Riverside. And I would tell you, and you don't have to say a word, but with, with this pandemic and the strain it's going to put on a lot of smaller colleges like that, um, uh, you know, I can see uh, the, the, the wisdom in making the move to a place like Arkansas. And, and that's really important. But what is it like to have three former head coaches, Clay, you know, and now a head coach that you're talking to? You've been a head coach, you know. I've known you for, you know, like I say, we've, you and I have stayed in touch for 20 plus years. And um, is it hard not to get stubborn about, you know, your point of view and open your mind up to that? Or how, how do you guys come to a consensus or is it okay to disagree? Well, I think it's always, you know, it's always okay to, to disagree, but we, you know, we're, we're all grown men and, and we just, we realize that, that Eric runs the show and, uh, we're just here to support him and and to to uh, you know advise him when needed and and he doesn't like, he doesn't need all that much advising frankly but when he does we're we're here to try and do that and at the end of the day he's the one that makes the decisions and everybody understands that and and when we walk out of the door regardless whether you you disagreed or 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 however you got to a particular decision or or strategy or philosophy or how you're gonna walk out onto the floor with the players you're all in unison and. And that's, you know, that's just the way it's got to be. And, and I, you know, I don't know how you built your staffs, Tim, but it's also, I don't think it's, and Eric doesn't want that. Eric doesn't want a bunch of yes men. And, you know, he wants guys that have ideas and, and, uh, but you have to have sound reasoning behind those ideas. And, and uh, you've got to be able to have a plan to be able to execute those ideas. If, if it's your idea that, that is chosen to go forward with. So um, that's really what it is. I mean, Corey's a, you know, Corey's incredible uh, DP and must like, it been it been thirty years since I'd been in major college basketball, so my my information is you know admittedly and clearly outdated. Uh, the recruiting process is a little different than it was uh, when I left, so uh, it's been a it's been a, an, an invigoration for me uh, at a kind of a ripe old age of fifty eight to uh, you know to be learning again. But it keeps you going every day. But you're a young fifty eight. I don't know exactly what that means, Tim, but I'll accept it. <laughs> you haven't put down your glasses yet to show how to take those reading glasses. I can if you'd like. Oh, yes. <laughs> I usually just forget they're up there. Yeah. Or forget them everywhere, like my sister who's 58 does. I, I, I actually invested in, I invested in about a dozen once a year, just lay them around everywhere. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, they have the little rope around them now. Have yeah, you I seen can't the ones that. that, but they disconnect right at the bridge? Yeah, that's yeah my, I can't. I can't do that yet. That's my Christmas present for him, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, CVS has got a little special on him right now, so you better hustle. So, so last thing, I have one of those gold ones. The, oh, I like that. That's yeah, nice. That's sure. good. I um, like that. Lastly, it's interesting that Clay brings up recruiting. You know, obviously, you don't have a godsend named Ben Simmons to bring to the table, DP. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have a wealth of contacts. Um, you know, Oceana FIBA basketball is getting better and better and better. You've seen New Zealand <clears throat> make the Olympics. You've seen uh, Australia make deeper runs in the Olympics. And you're working with the Australian national team. How are those, how, how are those things going for you right now? Look, I think obviously the pandemic, is the, we had the Olympics, which are now pushed back to next year. So uh, that's affected not only here in America, but the rest of the world, as we've all seen. Um, but I think there's certain guys, you know, that, that can definitely play in, play in our league here in the SEC and not just play, but help us, help us off the bat. Um, I can't verbally comment about who we have coming, but we have somebody from that side of the world uh, coming, hopefully, uh, on, on Wednesday on signing day. Uh, but the good thing about Arkansas, Timmy, as you know, is there's so many great players here in the state. Uh, there's so many great players in, in the region. When you talk about Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, and Missouri, which are right here. Um, and so you, you have great players, built-in built in players here. But uh, definitely coaches open to using that bridge over, over to Australia where, where they fit in. Um, but it's an exciting time uh, to be in the SEC and also and be a Razorback. Guys, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. Um, uh, hopefully we had a, a, great, uh, a great show. And, and, uh, and, you know, I always look at the strength of a of program and I look at that coaching staff. And, you know, we played Stetson when I was at Nebraska. So I've gone against Corey's team and I've, gone, and I've seen you guys in action. And 
really excited to see how this thing develops over the course of next this year and of course in the near future I think uh, Arkansas is really going to take off and have big runs in the NCAA it'll be a lot of fun to watch that SEC develop hey Tim can I flip the script and ask you a question yes sir are you so bored you have your Christmas tree up already <clears throat> um, just this is only one of four I, I wondered the same thing. Like, what is, like, haven't you skipped the holiday in here? Isn't that the day after Thanksgiving program? It's, it, it's like a Charlie Brown's just awful tree. <laughs> Leaning against the door. Do you, you ever take that Christmas tree down or is it up no, 12 months? My ago? wife just put it up, and I think she did it just to, with me, you know. And uh, thanks for bringing that up, Clay. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been fixated on it the whole time. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't get this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Love you. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. See ya. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Inside the Mind of Miles. I'm with my cohort, co-host, Gregory Eaton. How you doing, Esauce? I'm good, Coach. I'm good. That's bringing up an old name right there. Chin, yeah. Chin Coleman. You know why? Because uh, Brad Underwood's going to be my guest next week. Oh, boy. That'll be a good one. Yeah. How about Coach Musselman, man? That guy can go. A lot, lot of high energy, and you can definitely tell that they're getting things going at Arkansas really, really well. Tremendous defense and a great recruiting class coming in this year. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, you know, when you look at him uh, and the, the staff he put together, we got to meet David Patrick, Clay Mosier, our guys I've known for a long time. Really, really a good bunch of guys. Um, and, you know, it, and it's fun to see those veteran guys and how all those connections interweave over the course of time. So uh, a, a fun podcast. Hopefully people enjoyed it, uh, you know, and, and uh, another big week coming up, though. The Masters. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a big one. I know uh, you have a lot of experience at Augusta yourself. I, don't I do. Know I've stories. Fortunate that Harold Anderson, a member at the time, uh, former publisher of the uh, Omaha World Herald and Tom Ostergaard uh, invited me to play and I uh, got a chance to play a couple different years, uh, probably six different rounds. And, you know, it's so cool when you when you play those types of courses because you're so familiar with it on TV, you know, that it feels like you've already been there, you know. Mm -hmm. And I swear to goodness, it, it feels like you play the back nine and a half hour. And um, <laughs> it, my claim to fame is this. On, you know, I made a few pars out there, and I, I shot an okay score. My my very last round was 85, and I, I was happy with that. That's for impressive. me. So yeah, that's exactly. So uh, um, you know, when we look at things, uh, my first time out there, Ray's Creek on 12 uh, kind of runs away from you, and the and and the creek gets more like a river as it goes to your right. So Jack. Nicol Jack Nicholas always said, no matter what, especially on, on Sunday, if the pin's over on the right, you want to always hit a little fade, a little cut over the left side of the bunker because it's a very thin green. It's kind of a kidney-shaped one, and, and it's, it's, it's long this way, wide, whatever, not, you know, not, the, you know, not north and south. So you don't have much. You can hit it right in the front third of the green. It still runs off to the back. So uh, one of the times, though, you know, I finally got that down my last three or four rounds. But my first two, I, I struggled with. And I hit a little fade or slice. And, and what, the, what happens is you're in amen corner. And the caddies will tell you, like, the wind will be swirling. You'll hear the announcers talk about where's the wind coming from. And the caddies will say, look at the clouds. And the ball will follow the clouds. And if it's, you're lucky enough to have a few low-lying clouds, you'll see the clouds you know, moving this way, but the trees are moving that way. And you hit it, and it goes with the wind, with the, the direction of the clouds. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. And, uh, but just so you know, Jordan Spieth and I, who's a former champion, uh, have something I exactly in common, which was I hit one in the creek, and I walked over by the 13 tee box and took my club length and dropped it, you know, uh, or the direction and dropped it. And then basically chili dipped it right into the water. And Jordan Smith did that like three years ago. <laughs> and I told my wife, I predict, I said, oh, that is so thick over there. And it doesn't look thick because Augusta doesn't have much uh, rough naturally. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so Jordan Spieth and I both basically at Chili Dips into Rage Creek twice. And uh, uh, that's my claim to fame on that, Greg. But I have a bigger question. Uh, what hat are you wearing? Uh, it is the Pawtucket Red Sox, AAA for the Boston Red Sox, where I was fortunate enough to work for two years. With Pawtucket or Boston? Pawtucket. Yeah, so you're a AAA guy. You, you a like those minor league teams, don't you? Oh, I, I love the minor league teams and the minor league stadiums. A lot, a lot more character than the big, the big names. And you go to some games over in Omaha with your wife too, right? Yes. And actually one of our years, you know, uh, before the 15, 16 year, uh, my wife and I did a road trip in Iowa and we went to four minor league games in Iowa in four days. I don't think you told me about that trip. <laughs> so, uh, so, that, so that's Pawtucket. Do you have a collection of those hats? I do, and I think uh, I'll wear a different one each week, so you can oh, see yeah. places I've been. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. And maybe we'll give a, a folks a chance to guess uh, what they are and stuff like that, too. You never know. That might be good. But we had a great show. We're looking forward to another big week. And, uh, you know, we missed our Open this week, Coach E, because you were busy working. What's going on with that? I mean, I'm, come on. I know, I know. I think people are more excited to hear Coach Musselman talk. I know I didn't get a chance to say it. I was actually a graduate assistant at Arkansas for for one year. So, um, under Walton, John Pelfrey, right? Under John Pelfrey, yes. And uh, Bud Walton is a f- tremendous place to catch a basketball game. If you if you haven't had a chance to go to a game there, it's one of the toughest places to play in the country. And you know, it's kind of like you can look at your schedule and say, "We're going to win these games," um, re- regardless who you have on the schedule. So. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a great environment. It was rocking last year. I remember their Kentucky game, and they had other games too, but I remember seeing there, I think it was a CBS game, and it was rolling, man. It was good stuff. So, ladies and gentlemen, Coach Eaton, man, thanks for joining us with that Pawtucket Red Sox hat, and uh, we're looking forward to more of Inside the Mind of Miles coming up next week. Enjoy this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it a great deal. Remember to subscribe, rate, review. We are a five-star rating only, just so you know. We don't accept anything less than five because we're the world's greatest in the history of mankind podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us, Coach E. We'll see you later, buddy. See you, Coach. Take care, folks.